Hey everyone, this is Van Cochran from Vineyard Northwest. My message today is titled Connecting with the Unseen Realm. I started off with a short review of the previous week's message and in that we talked about the coming resurrection of the dead and uh, what great encouragement we have knowing that Jesus is coming again. But from there we moved into a Pentecost Sunday message looking at Acts chapter 2 and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as well as the wonderful gift of spiritual language of a private prayer language that God has available to us as believers and how that connects us with the unseen realm with God himself and enables us to influence the seen realm by our impact on the unseen realm hope you enjoy the message have a great day hey good morning good to good to see you here in the auditorium and good to have you all joining us in your homes or wherever you might be uh, taking this in you know, and it's a crazy, crazy times and uh, painful times. And, and yet, uh, in the Christian life, there's always joy mixed with pain. There's always laughter mixed with tears. And it, that said, I have a couple of jokes for you today. I haven't told a joke for a while. But um, here, here's the first one. There's a guy from West Virginia that moved to Akron, Ohio to get a job in one of the factories there. So he got there and, and he's enjoying his job and his boss told him uh, that they needed to hire more people. So he calls a friend of his in West Virginia and says, hey, if you're up here in two days, my boss says you can have a job right alongside me. So his buddy says, I'll jump in the car right now. I'll be there today. And so uh, one day goes by, two days, three days, five days later, his friend comes stumbling in, dirty, stinky, uh, exhausted, and he said, what happened? You were supposed to be here five days ago. And he said, well, he said, I made really good time till I hit the Ohio line. Then I saw a sign that said, clean bathrooms ahead. And he said, do you have any idea how many bathrooms there are between here and the Ohio line? I know you're laughing at home, okay? I know you are. By faith, I, I believe you are. At least you're smiling at my stupidity. Um, okay, another joke. There was, a, there was a big conference on overpopulation in the world, and one of the speakers gave a message, and in his message, he said, somewhere in the world, there's a woman having a baby every three minutes. And the, the crowd was shocked with that. One man stood up and said, we've got to find that woman and stop her. Come on, come on, come on. You're here for a reason, okay? Yeah, yeah. All right, we're, we're in a series called Supernatural. We've been, we've been on this the last several weeks, particularly focused on uh, a theme called the unseen realm. Wilson introduced that. Micah gave us a great message on angels, angelic beings, and seeing in, into the unseen realm. But uh, last week, I gave a message on how uh, relating to the unseen realm gives us courage in life. And just to follow up with that and, and to briefly review, in Hebrews 11.27, it talks about Moses. And it says this about Moses. It says, he left Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, meaning he kept going, as seeing him who is unseen. So what that's saying is Moses was able to relate to the unseen realm and to recognize God is real, God is there, God is with me and he's for me, therefore I don't have to be afraid of Pharaoh, 
and I can do what God's calling me to do without fear. And so the unseen realm of recognizing it gives our hearts courage, it strengthens us. In Hebrews eleven thirty-five, the writer of Hebrews said this, and he's talking about faith, it's the faith chapter of Hebrews 11, uh, is called the faith chapter, it outlines all these great people of, of faith throughout the Bible, and it says this, it says, others were tortured. So they're being tortured for their faith, they're being tortured, told, if you deny God, if you deny the Lord, then we will stop torturing you, you will live. He says, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. So they weren't looking for earthly salvation. And here's what it says, they placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. And so these chose to say, if I suffer in this life for, for the name of Christ, I'll do that because I know something better is coming. And this whole idea of resurrection is, uh, is, is something I wanna dwell on for just a moment because our movement, the Vineyard, is uh, what we would call a kingdom of God movement. And what we mean by that is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is here now. And, and Jesus told us to pray that the kingdom would come to earth, to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have a strong focus on that, on bringing God's kingdom here now, releasing healing to people, and seeing, seeing lives changed and marriages changed and, and the world impacted through the kingdom of God. But I think what that does is it causes us to focus a little less than we should on the next life, on the unseen realm, on what's gonna happen after we die. And that's specifically the whole resurrection. And so I wanna take just a moment and, and focus on that because there's tremendous encouragement and there is tremendous uh, courage that we'll get by thinking about the, the resurrection that's coming, that Christ is coming back. And when he returns, he is going to institute the kingdom of God on this planet perfectly. And so now the kingdom's here and it's a battle for us. It's a battle for us to see people healed. It's a battle for us to see marriages restored. It's a battle for us to see the, the things of the kingdom and God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a battle. And, and yet when Jesus returns, he's gonna take the very same resources available to us now and he's gonna use them and release them perfectly in this world so that his kingdom comes perfectly. And part of that's going to be resurrection. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Apostle Paul writes this. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now by sleep, he's using that as a euphemism for die. He says, we're not all going to die, but we all are going to be changed. And he says this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we, meaning those believers who are alive and on the earth at this time, we will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and the mortal put on immortality, then will come what this saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And this is a passage that's talking about the return of Christ. And the trumpet sound is what introduces the king. And so there's going to be a, an angel is going to blast a trumpet. 
that's going to be heard around the world. And at that moment, Jesus returns to the earth. And he says this, that the first thing that's going to happen is that all who died in faith in Christ, their bodies are going to literally be resurrected from the ground. And the ones that are alive, like you and me, we are going to be changed instantly from a mortal body to an immortal body, from a body that is perishable, which our bodies are perishable, to a body that is imperishable, a body like Jesus had when he rose, rose from the dead, when he came out of the grave. We're going to receive bodies that are eternal, that are not going to die, that are not going to get sick, that are not going to wear out. And so he says this is all going to happen in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Now, you might ask this question, though, before I go further. You might say, well, what about someone who died a thousand years ago and their body is totally decomposed? I don't know exactly what the answer to that is, but I do know God's big enough to handle that. And I know that he knows where all those molecules are, and I, I don't know. Maybe there's a place in heaven where God stores DNA, and, and, and every time a Christian dies, an angel swoops down and gets a little sample of their DNA so they can be reconstituted. But he knows where the molecules that were, that were them were, and, and he's going to take those, and he's going to rebuild their body, but it's not going to be a broken, weak body like we have now. And so the dead are going to rise first, and they're going to ascend to be with Jesus and then you and I are going to be caught up in the air, it says, in another place, and we are going to be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, in a moment's time, our bodies will be changed from mortal to immortal, from living in this, uh, in this seen realm to being suited to live in the unseen realm, in eternal realm, in the eternal realm. And so what that means is that uh, blind eyes are going to be opened in the twinkling of an eye, the blink of an eye. Um, tumors are going to disappear. Uh, old people are going to become young people in the blink of an eye. 90-year-old, shriveled skin is going to become like, I don't know what, let's say a 30-year-old. And other people in the blink of an eye are going to grow a full head of hair, you know? Some people are going to lose 100 pounds in the blink of an eye, just like that. You know, this body, you've had trouble you know, contain, contain, controlling your weight. Well, this new body, no trouble like that at all. And so this is something that should encourage us to realize that, that death is not the end on this planet. We don't have to fear death. And we can know, you know, when you know the end of the game, it gives you courage to play with abandon. It gives you courage just, just to go for it. And you, you don't have to be cautious and careful. And so here, he's giving us here tremendous encouragement. What some people would, would call, though, and have called in the past, uh, critically, uh, pie in the sky, because there have been movements among Christians that just focused on life after death. And some even have gone off and lived in isolation because they thought there's no sense in working on this world. This world's broken, and we'll just wait for the next one. But pie in the sky, uh, that's not the effect this should have on us. In fact, at the end of this passage in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, right after he says everything about the resurrection, then he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil or your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so this truth is a truth that sustains us as we fight the battle now. 
and it encourages our hearts as, as we go through hardship now and as we, as we face questions and pain, whether it's personal or cultural or and, and every, everything that, um, that our land is facing right now, we should find encouragement in this. There's coming a day when it will all be made right. It will all be made right. And, uh, and that's going to be a wonderful time, wonderful day. Uh, that, that's why we keep going, okay? That's why we keep going. Well, last week I talked about uh, this, that we are designed to interact with the unseen realm. We know that because Adam and Eve uh, did not think it unusual when the serpent appeared, that, that shiny being in, in the uh, garden. They didn't think that was weird. That was just part of life. They lived in the seen realm, but they had interaction on a regular basis with the unseen realm. And so because of that, it's, it's really important that we recognize the unseen realm. It's important that we understand the unseen realm. And you might say, well, why? You know, I really am living here in this physical world. Well, it's as important as asking, uh, as this, why, why do fish need water? Because that's what they were designed to exist in, water. You know, why do birds need the air? Because they were designed to fly. Why do we need to understand the unseen realm? Because we were designed to understand and to interface with the unseen realm. That's part of God's, part of God's plan for us and part of what he uh, does in our lives and how he, how he actually uses us. If you remember, we talked about the fact that we impact the seen by impacting the unseen. The seen world comes from the unseen world. And so if you don't understand the unseen world, then you don't understand the origin of the seen world, and therefore you can't impact the seen world. But if you understand both and how they work together, then you can go to the, into the unseen realm to impact the seen realm. And we use this illustration of a fig tree that Jesus had cursed, and they looked at the fig tree the next day, and they said, look, it, it shriveled from the roots up. And so the very root system died, the unseen, and that impacted the seen. And, and so that's a picture of how we impact the seen realm. We have to understand how to interact with the unseen realm to bring about change in the seen realm. And in fact, in that passage, Jesus said this. He said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. So when he says have faith in God, uh, it's really not a good translation because the, literally in the Greek, and it's, this is not true very often, but literally in the Greek it says have faith of God or faith from God. And I think the translators just don't know what to do with that. But I look at it and I say, I think what he's saying is this, that it is a type of faith that can, that can only come from a divine source. And so have faith from God. And that very likely is referring to the gift of faith in 1 Corinthians 12, which is a gift that God gives to people in order to accomplish the things that he wants to have done on this, uh, on this planet. And, and if you say that, then you'd say, well then, okay, if that's a gift, then how can I have it? How can, I, how, how can he command me to have it? Because it's something God has to give to me. But the Bible does say that we are to pursue the spiritual gifts. And so I am to pursue all of the spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible, and the gift of faith is one of them. 
which raises the question then, well, how, how do I pursue a gift of faith? How does that happen? And, and there are several things I think we can do to put ourselves, position ourselves to experience God's gift of faith, godly faith, Holy Spirit-given faith that will give us just this sense of certainty about what we're stepping into that enables us not only to move ahead with courage, but also to release the kingdom into that area and in, into that need that we see. So here are a few things that, uh, that we can do to put ourselves in a position to walk in faith and to experience faith of God or faith from God. The first thing is this, read stories in the Bible about people of faith. You know, find a couple favorite stories. Like for me, Jonathan attacking the Philistine outpost is one of my favorite stories, and I see the incredible faith that they had to do that. Uh, I look at uh, I have other, several other stories in the Bible that are, just feed my heart, and they put me in a position for God to give me the gift of faith. Uh, another thing to do is to read biographies of great Christians over the centuries, people who, who did amazing things, in, in, in service to God and read about them and see their faith. Another thing you can do is in every situation that you're facing, and I think this might be key here, maybe the most important thing. In every situation, you're saying, Holy Spirit, show me what the Father's heart is for this situation. Show me, what, how's the Father? Father, what is your heart for these people? Father, what's your heart for, how are you feeling about what I'm seeing happen here? And when you begin to experience God's heart for people and for the, the situations before us, then his, his heart is going to flow into ours. And we position ourselves for him just to drop gifts, the gift of faith into us on a regular basis. And so there are these things that we can do, and, and as you're experiencing his heart, then he's also going to show you what you need to do about it. And so be open then, Father, okay, I, you know, I, I'm, feeling, I'm, I'm just feeling tremendous compassion for these people. Or for this situation, I'm feeling this sense of urgency or this sense of, of something needs to happen to right this wrong or whatever it might be. And, and then there's also going to come with that because you're tying into God's heart, you're gonna sense what he wants you to do about it. And then when you sense that, then you're probably gonna have two or three things come into your mind. A couple of them are gonna be really, really safe because you're thinking them up. And maybe one of them is gonna be really risky because it's coming from God. And so then you take the risky one. You step into the riskiest one and you go for it. And what you're doing by developing that type of lifestyle is cultivating a heart that God can give you a gift of faith on a regular basis. It's just like, um, it's just like growing in the ability to prophesy or, or growing in the ability uh, to get words of knowledge. It's a very, very similar type of thing. But as we do that, then, um, then, then we move ahead with really great power because to be God's representatives on this earth and to impact this fallen, broken world with the kingdom of God, with the life of Jesus, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. We, just, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. No amount of wisdom, human wisdom or cleverness 
or our great ideas or, or great books that we've read on how to build something or build a business in this world. Helpful stuff, yeah, but it's not the answer. We need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Jesus, you know the apostles spent three years with Jesus, apprenticing under him, saw everything he did. They went out and did it themselves. But still, at the end of his life, do you know what he said to them? He said this, when, when right before he ascended, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, in spite of all the time they spent with him, they still needed to be baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And every one of us here in this room, every one of us listening, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He brings to us the presence of the Father. He brings to us the life of Jesus, and he is the power of God in our lives. And so we desperately need him. It's not like we need him when we hit trouble. It's not like we need him when we have a big job we've got to do. We need him all the time. And we cannot be who God wants us to be without him. And this is where, uh, again, this whole idea of the unseen realm uh, just becomes so pertinent because the Holy Spirit dwells in the unseen realm. And he bridges the unseen realm to us. And he takes that part of us that was designed for interaction with the unseen realm. And he fills it and he brings it to life. And he shows us this connection so that we become, in some respects, we become portals to the unseen realm for God's power to flow into this world. So that his power and life can flow in, into this world. But it's all through the Holy Spirit. And so he told them, wait in Jerusalem. Then in Acts 2, and oh, by the way, Sarah mentioned this, but this is Pentecost Sunday. So this means that what we're going to read right now happened uh, you know, some, somewhere around 2,000 years ago on this very day. And I'm going to read it to you from Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. It says earlier that there were 120 of them. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they distributing themselves, fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. The tongues of fire came down on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, so they're praying, and they've been praying for, for days on end. They're praying, waiting for, waiting for the fulfillment of the promise Jesus gave them. And then on this day, the first thing they hear is this sound of a rushing wind. You know, have you ever been in your home and heard wind? Uh, we, we were in our home once, actually Luke and his dad and Wilson and I and another friend of theirs and his dad were in our home doing a Bible study one day. And, and how many years ago? 15 years ago, at least, maybe 20. No, not 20, but 15 anyway. But uh, we hear this, this rushing sound of wind outside. So we jump up and look out the window. And if you remember that huge windstorm that we had, maybe 2008, something like that. And we see trees falling down. One big, huge tree just comes crashing down. They heard wind like that in this room. 
Now you don't, there's no room for wind like that in a room like that, for that sound to be made because there's, no, there's not enough space for the wind. But this is, when heaven and when the unseen realm is intersecting with the seen realm, thing, things like this happen, okay? Things like this happen that are impossible. So they hear this rushing sound of wind and then they see fire and that fire comes and rests on each one of them. And as that fire comes and it comes down on them, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the significance of that is tremendous because in the Old Testament, when God wanted to speak to Moses, do you remember what he did? He spoke to him through a burning bush, fire. When God wanted to lead the people uh, out, of, out of Egypt, and he led them through the desert by what? A pillar of fire. It looked like a cloud during the day because there was so much light that you didn't see the fire inside the cloud. But at night, you could see the fire inside the cloud. And that cloud would rest over top of the tabernacle, which was the place where God's presence was revealed. When um, Moses went up on the mountain, what was on top of the mountain? Fire. Fire, lightnings and thunders and fire. When, uh, when Solomon built the temple in 2 Chronicles 7.1, it says that fire came down and the presence of God became so powerful and so thick that the priests couldn't stand up. They all fell down. And that fire went into the holy of holies in the temple. And it stayed right there because that fire was the visible presence of God on this planet. If you had been able to walk into that holy of holies, you'd see the, the angels with their wings like this coming from one side of the room to the other and, and touching in this, or almost touching in the center and down below is the Ark of the Covenant. And right in this area, there was this glowing fire. They, they, they call it the Shekinah glory. That's just a word that, that uh, they, they use that's not in the Bible. But it was just this glowing fire, which was the presence of God, this glowing light. Now what happens when Israel repeatedly walks away from God? In Ezekiel 10 and 11, what happens was the glory of God left the temple. And Ezekiel describes this all in a vision where the glory of God left the temple and it went out the eastern gate and then it went to the Mount of Olives and it hovered over the Mount of Olives before the glory of God went back to heaven. And so there's this season of time, the, the, like the 500 years between the Old Testament writings, the last of the Old Testament prophets and the coming of Jesus, there's this season of time where, where the glory has departed. That's what the word Ichabod means, the glory has departed. And so all this time, the, the fire that Moses saw in the bush, the fire that led them in the wilderness, the fire on top of the mountain, the fire that existed, the, this glowing, blazing fire in the holy of holies left and went back to heaven until today. And on Pentecost Sunday, the fire came back. The glory of God, the presence of God was restored to earth. And the Holy Spirit comes on these people and comes into them and their lives were changed forever. Their lives were changed forever. Uh, first, probably one or two of them stumble out onto the street and then they all flood out onto the street and they're all out on the street uh, praying in tongues and, 
and people said they looked like they were drunk. So uh, with that as their description of it, they probably weren't walking that well. Their, their bodies, just like the priests in the temple when the glory of God came into the temple and the priests couldn't stand, these people were probably having a hard time standing. And so they're all out on the streets now praying, praying in these different languages, praising God in a variety of different languages that, uh, that the people there for the holiday from all over the Mediterranean world are hearing God being praised in their own languages. And so there's this incredible miracle happening. But it was a real encounter with God. It wasn't just like someone gave a great speech and they all got enthused and they all stood up and cheered like a football team getting ready to play the big game. No, it was a real encounter with God. I, I, you know, I've been try, trying to think of what we could tie into to understand that. Look at it like this. You could have someone um, play with a Ouija board, which nobody should play with Ouija boards. The Bible forbids that type of stuff. But let's say someone does, and to them it's just a game, and they feel excited because they feel like they did something exciting, and they did something that maybe touched the unseen realm. But let's say someone else does the same thing and they actually encounter demonic presence when they do that. And that happens. That happens. That's a real encounter. It's not just, hey, we just did something. Wasn't that cool and exciting? It was a real encounter with a demonic presence. Well, what I'm saying here is that this, when the Holy Spirit touches someone, it is not just emotion. A lot of people who are non-charismatic or anti-charismatic, they say, oh, you're just too emotional. It's not emotion at all. When the Holy Spirit touches you, it's a real felt encounter with the unseen realm, with God himself, and of course it impacts you. And of course you might get excited and, and you might cry or you might laugh because when you encounter the living God, it's an exciting thing. But it's real at the core of it. It's not emotional. It is real. And they are really impacted. You know, I, I just look at Peter. You know, in spite of the fact that Peter came to Jesus and he, or Jesus came to Peter, at, you know, Peter denied Jesus the night of the, of the betrayal and night before the crucifixion and all of that. And Peter was just a broken man after that. And so Jesus comes to him and restores him. But then the last thing we read, Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And poor Peter, he's saying, you know, I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? And so I don't think, Peter has not yet fully recovered from uh, the night of the betrayal when he betrayed Jesus. So I picture this prayer meeting with, uh, you know, some people jumping up and down, everybody shouting, praying, God, come, you know, come, Lord. And I picture Peter off in the corner, kind of slumped down, hugging his knees and, and, and asking himself, do I deserve to be here? Should I just leave? If I get up and leave right now, will it be too obvious? I gotta get out of here. I can just picture Peter struggling with stuff like that. But you know what happens after the Holy Spirit comes on Peter? After the glory of God fills him, the glory comes and rests on him and the Holy Spirit fills him, then Peter stands up and with incredible courage preaches this powerful, powerful message where 3,000 people come to faith in Christ in, in, one, in one moment. And so Peter is totally transformed by this experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we need to recognize this was an initial 
encounter with the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't the final encounter with the Holy Spirit. I think you probably have a tendency to say the baptism of the Spirit would be the first real encounter, but you have multiple encounters with the Holy Spirit after that, multiple fillings after that. And, and so it's not a once for all deal. In fact, later in Acts chapter four, they're praying and, and the building itself shook. You know, that, that's the equivalent of the sound of like hurricane force wind in a room. The building shook and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they proclaimed the name of Jesus with boldness. And so when we get filled with the Holy Spirit, when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's something that happens in them and they become bold. They become bold. It, it has to spill out onto the streets. I remember when, uh, when we were moving more and more into the Holy Spirit and Robbie Dawkins came and spoke to us and he, he told us this over and over again. He said, if, you just, if it's just here, it'll die because you're not fulfilling the purpose. So if we just come and have great meetings and, and we really experience God's presence and we pray for each other, that's all wonderful. But if it doesn't get out onto the streets, then we're not fulfilling the purpose that God fills us with his spirit for. And so even Jesus in uh, John 7, when he's predicting this, he, he said, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, who wasn't yet given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. And so Jesus had to go back to the, to the right hand of the Father before the Spirit could be sent. But he said, living waters will flow out of them. Do you know there's no more powerful force, or at least, let's say this, one of the most powerful forces on this planet is flowing water. If you've ever seen the, the aftermath of a flood, it rips up concrete, I mean, it treats uh, asphalt roads just like nothing, just digs them right up. It'll, it'll wash houses away. There was a flood near my hometown where there were uh, dozens of cars that were washed away and never found. They just deposited somewhere in the river. And floodwaters are incredibly powerful. And Jesus is saying here, water's gonna flow out of us. Now, that's not something that you can really stop. You can't, like, flip the switch on or off. And, and so I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and this boldness that comes with it and with him and where he's just flowing out of me all the time. You know, wherever I am, it's not like, oh, should I talk to that person or not? Which we'll have those moments. Don't get me wrong. And when we have those moments, we need to step into it, and that keeps the flow going. But this flow of the Holy Spirit through us is just incredible. We need the power of the Holy Spirit because we need the presence of God and the power of God to fulfill our mission. Now, the second thing is they get this new communication system. They pray in tongues. And uh, there are three types of tongues. There's this tongue that was, that was evangelistic here uh, where they are praying in languages that the people around them are going to understand, even though they don't naturally speak that language. And that happens, there are missionaries out in, out in the field where they did not know the language and they start speaking and the people around them are shaking their heads and saying, yeah, wow, that's a good thought. <laughs> and, they, and, and it's because God gave them this ability to communicate in that language that those people needed. Wouldn't that be cool? I remember uh, Jack Hayford shared this story once. 
he was on a plane and um, he was sitting beside a man and as they got to know each other, this man was a, a Native American and from a tribe out west and Jack just felt led to do this. He said, uh, he said you know, I, I knew a guy, or, or he said someone, he's put it like this, he said, someone gave me some words to a language that I don't really know and I wanted to just share them with you and see if maybe they're from your native tongue. And so he was talking about his prayer language, which is one of the types of tongues. And um, the guy said, sure, I'll listen. And so Jack started praying in his prayer language. He said, after just a couple of seconds, it shifted into something he had never heard before come out of his mouth. And he prayed this. And the guy says, yeah, that's, that, those are, that's from my, my tribe's parent tongue. And then the guy said, what you're describing was a man out in the field with his hands raised praising the great spirit. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So that's one type is evangelistic type of tongues. And then there's tongues that can be used in a public setting uh, as a prayer, which we've done that here. Normally it happens in small groups, not not like in a large group, because uh, when you get too many people together, you invariably have crazy people there. So you can't just open it up for anybody to do whatever they want. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's true. That's so true. But it, like in a small group or in the right setting or in a special service, uh, someone prays in a tongue and someone else gets a sense of what that prayer was and then they pray it in English. And just the, the act of faith in doing that somehow just releases stuff into the room. We, we, we saw this once where um, I gave a tongue, someone interpreted it, we prayed for a woman for her ankle. No, we prayed for her mother. And that night she couldn't sleep. She was awake all night long. She got healing in her heart for her mother and her ankle was healed. And she went to, went to her therapist the next week and was doing the exercises that they, she had been doing with her. And she was able to do it. And she said the therapist looked at her doing this and just fell on her hands and you know, just fell to the floor examining her ankle and said, what happened? And she said, well, she said, you did give me that treatment last week, ultrasound. And the, the therapist said, there's no way that did this. And so in that sense, that type of tongue releases, it's catalytic it kicks out other gifts of healing and prophetic words and words of knowledge when, when, we, when we use that tongue. But then there's a third type of tongue that I wanted to focus on for a moment, and that is the private prayer language. And we know there's a private prayer language because the Apostle Paul said this. He's, not only did he say, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but he also said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he also said, I would rather speak words that could be understood than speak in a tongue in a group, unless it's interpreted. And so when, where Paul spoke in tongues more than everybody had to have been when he was by himself and with God. And that, that makes tongues a private prayer language. There's another place where it talks about the tongues of men or tongues of angels. So there could be, even be possibility of angelic languages that, that people get for their private prayer language. But this private prayer language, um, it, it, it is something that opens us up to more of what God has for us and what he wants to do in our lives. These other gifts to communicate with the unseen realm like discernment of spirits, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, dreams, visions, all of those things are enhanced by this gift 
of, of having a prayer language. And when you have a prayer language, what happens is the Holy Spirit actually prays through you because you're praying in a language you don't know, you don't understand. And Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this, and I believe this is talking about the, the gift of tongues. He says, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In other words, he can't give me, like in English, I, you know, I can't, I can't just take what he once prayed and pray it in English. And he says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then we read in 1 John 5, 14 and 15 this. It says, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he, if, and, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we've asked of from him. And so the Holy Spirit, when we pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit is praying through us according to the will of God, which means there's going to be stuff kicked loose in the unseen realm that's going to invade the seen realm because we're asking according to God's will when we pray that way. And this is so significant and important. Um, It's not magic, don't get me wrong, but it is catalytic. Praying in tongues is a catalytic thing. It catalyzes and it moves. And here's something else it does. It opens up my heart in in order to to, to break into the unseen realm. Because when I'm praying in English, the primary thing I'm doing is thinking about what am I gonna say? You know, I, I, I need to formulate, and now not always. Sometimes you just get into a flow of prayer in English, especially if you're praying an interpretation of a tongue that was given. There, there's just this flow that happens. But, um, but normally, my mind is involved, and that's why Paul said, uh, he said, I'll pray with my mind, and I will pray with my spirit. I'll pray with the mind and with the spirit. And when you pray with the spirit, praying in tongues, then your mind is not engaged, which means your mind can receive from God because you're not thinking. You're not like, you're not like uh, engaged mentally with the whole process in the same way. So it opens us up to receive so much more. So this um, Pentecost was such a, a, such a pivotal moment for the life of the church. And it's something God has for each and every one of us to have that type of experience. And, and yeah, when a person receives Christ, the Holy Spirit does come into them. But he wants you to have the Holy Spirit come in, on, over, through, fill you in a way that you know it's happening. It's not just a thing that I know it's happening because the Bible tells me so. That's good. But he, he really, it's just like, you know, my wife can know I love her because I tell her, or I can kiss her, and I can hug her. There's a difference between me just saying, hey, love you, girl, and me saying, you know, you are beautiful. Get over here right now, you know? There's a difference in that, and God wants us to experience his presence and his love, and that, that rocks our world when we do. So um, I'm gonna pray right now. And, and I want some of you here, too, that are listening, if you have something, I want you to come up and share it, okay? But um, I'm just going to pray right now for the Holy Spirit to, to fill, 
everybody listening, and to touch you in a new way. Now, it might not be as earth-shaking as it is, was in Acts. The first time I experienced God's presence that lasted for about a minute, I wanted more, and I, I said, God, I want more. And he said, there's gonna be more, but not right now. But so, I just want you to be sensitive. Sometimes when we pray for this, uh, people feel warm. Sometimes they uh, just become very calm. Sometimes uh, they can't stand up. Sometimes they can't move. Uh, that's not forever, so if that happens, don't, don't worry about that. But um, it, it, there's just so, so much beauty and power to this. I want you just to sit back right now and hold your hands out and just close your eyes and focus on Jesus, okay? And, and I'm gonna pray, Holy Spirit, just like you came on Pentecost, just like you came on Pentecost, come now. Fill up our thirsty lives. We are thirsty for you. We want more of you. And for those who have experienced your presence and are thirsty, just give that, just pour yourself out on them right now. Just pour yourself out on them right now. Pour out right now. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just more of your presence. And for those who have never, never experienced God's presence in a tangible, felt way, I pray right now in Jesus' name, I, I break off any fear, I break off any unbelief, and I just say be free in Jesus' name, and Holy Spirit, come, come, rest on them. For some of you, you might feel something in your throat. Your throat might feel hot or bulging. That's the gift of tongues. What you need to do is uh, just give up some of your pride and, and force air out of your, out of your, over your voice box and let it flow. And just, just start praying. Don't pray in English. It's simple, really. Holy Spirit, come. Release the gift of tongues. Yeah, I think there's really... You're not on. I think there's really grace for that right now, for people yeah. to get the prayer, their prayer language. Yeah. If you're in this room and you don't have it and you want it, just stand up right now. And if you are on the live stream and you're able to stand up, just stand up. But I just want to kind of pray, agree with that, kind of give you a tiny bit of practical tips to agree with that. So mm -hmm. just stand up right now if that's you and you want to get that for the first time, you want to start moving in that. Really quickly, if there's any fear in your heart or any confusion or negative emotions around the gift of tongues, just identify that really quick, mm -hmm. all right? Just identify that. There's no shame for having that at all, but identify it. Now, reject it because Jesus wants you to move in this. The Holy Spirit, Paul said he wants everyone to flow in it for a reason, so just let go of it. Again, there's no shame around this, but just say, I reject that negative emotion, or I reject that fear about this gift. I want anything God's given me. That, that, anything that's on the table, I want. Just say that out loud. Mm -hmm. anything, anything you're giving, table, Holy Spirit, I want. I want. I want it. All right, now just close your eyes, put your hand on your chest or your stomach. If you're wanting to engage with this for the first time. Yes, Lord. Father, I just I bless my friends right now. I thank you that you're so generous with gifts. You're so generous. So right now, in Jesus' name, I release the gift of tongues. 
I release that personal prayer language to flow and to bubble out right now in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Let it come. Now, key thing, open your mouth. Sometimes God does this spontaneously to you, but most of the time you actually cooperate with him. So first step, open your mouth right now, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. So open your mouth. Like you said, I, I, I bless that thing that's rising in you and now just give voice to it. I bless you. And I just pray this will be released right now in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. We're just going to pause in it just for a second, just for one minute. I release this, this gift to bubble up and to come out. All right, now, if you're just experiencing something, what I want to encourage you to do is to later on today, get back in this moment and practice that same thing again. Your personal prayer language is something you can turn on and off anytime you want, anytime you want, okay? It's going to feel weird at first because you're like, am I faking it? You're not. You're practicing it and you're going in a spiritual gift. So just get off on your own, um, driving somewhere in the shower, whatever whatever you got to do to feel comfortable and, and let it rip, okay? So... Good word, Will. Thank you. You know, when I first uh, got a prayer language, I questioned it for a year. And then um, I was in a meeting where God beside, every time I'd pray, I would say, does that really sound like a language? How many vowel sounds did I make? How many, you know, this and that. And um, then I was in a meeting and the guy beside me was praying in tongues. And then he stopped and he just started doing this. And I thought, that's no language. But then the Holy Spirit entered the room just like a downdraft coming into the center of the room. And it was just like, boom, and just rolled out. And I thought, I'm overthinking this. <laughs> and then from that moment on, I never questioned it again. I just flowed with it. So I, I encourage you with that same word that Wilson just gave. Hey, thanks for joining us and uh, blessings on you. Uh, we'll be here next week. We'll see you then.